If you could, turn in your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. I don't know about you, but before you go on to a journey, you always have to check and make sure you have every provision without fail. Whenever the Fletchers go on any trip in which we have to, we are spending the night somewhere, like we're driving far enough, we have to stay overnight somewhere. Without fail, it doesn't matter how many times we check over everything. Invariably, when we get about an hour down the road, either I or my wife, it's, we, we share in this, we both do it. We always forget one thing. There is something. It could be my curling iron. Um, you know, it could be, you know, my toothbrush or my medicine or something like that. Um, you know, those kind of things. And I don't know how many times I've played the man and just been like, nope, we left it. We ain't, we ain't going back now. And uh, I, I tell you, I've, I've survived to 12 anniversaries because I've learned there's sometimes you've got to turn around and just go back. Is there amen on that? Sometimes you can't just get the same thing at Walmart wherever you're going. Sometimes you have to go back. But, you know, before we go on a trip, and we have checklists, you know, we go through our little list and make sure we packed everything. When I went to the Amazon a few years ago, they gave us a list, you know, all the shots I had to have. And even then, like, they told me, okay, you need to go get these kind of shoes and these kind of pants. And you got to remember, they have mosquitoes down there that could lift you up and carry you off. So you've got to carry weights. Uh, in your clothes so you don't get carried off. And uh, really, like, I even went, when I went and got my shots to go down there, the, um, the doctor at the travel clinic, the USC travel clinic in Columbia, he took me aside and he said, um, uh, I know what's on this, this little official government CDC thing, you know, you're supposed to do and don't for mosquitoes and all that, but you need to go to this hiking store downtown and in the back, they have, they have the full-blown DDT stuff. You just don't, don't try to get the eco-friendly mosquito. You need the full-on stuff when you go down there. And, and sure enough, I did. I, I even went online and researched it. I bought this super awesome uh, water camelback water bottle that had the laser UV light that's supposed to kill like 99.999998% of all impurities. And I thought, this is what I'm getting because, you know, we're going to be out, we're going to be in the jungle and all this stuff. Come to find out that was the biggest waste of money possible. I didn't read until I got back. I didn't read the article that said if there is any sediment whatsoever in the water, the little laser thing can't work. It's, it, I mean, you're going to kill yourself. Anything you drink in that, you're going to kill yourself. Absolutely the big, yeah, I did, I did. Um, I still have it, though, just in case. But it only works on completely filtered water. The water has to be completely filtered before it'll work. That's a great water filter. Yeah, it's awesome. Before you go on any journey, though, you, you've got to, you've got to, Check your provisions and make sure you have enough provision for the journey. The Israelites went on a journey. 
And we've, already, we've been tracing them in slavery in Egypt, and God redeemed them, did the Passover, and they were released from, from bondage and slavery. And then they, they ended up, we saw them at the Red Sea, and God provided for them in an amazing way and, and, and showed his power and is leading them to the promised land. This people that were slaves. He's leading them to the promised land and they're going to have to fight when they get there and he's taking these slaves and he's going to turn them into a people and a nation and a formidable army. And they didn't have the luxury of Amazon Prime shipping. They didn't have the luxury of Walmart or wherever. They didn't have REI or, I mean, Magellan's, any any of that stuff. But they had everything they needed. They had, they had every provision. Why? Because they had the Lord. And this morning we're going to look into this passage in which God shows up in a very clear way and makes, makes it very clear that no matter what the world has to offer, God is the only provision we need. Let's read in Exodus Chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. Moses writes, and he says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah. Because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. This is the day that you have made. We thank you for your word. Your word, which is true, which is sure, which is good, which is faithful. Lord, speak to us now through the reading and the hearing of your word, that we may be changed and live in light of you, our faithful provision, as you have provided everything we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He's in control. I don't know what's shorting out. We don't need electricity. I'll just speak louder. You'll just have to turn your hearing aids up. I might have to get you to sit a little closer to the front. Okay? He's in control, okay? In thinking about God's provision, 
He's, his word is going to be proclaimed, okay? And speaking of God's provision, God sometimes leads us into the wilderness. God sometimes leads us into the wilderness. Notice at the very beginning, it's very clear about the directions where the people went. It says, all the congregation, verse 1, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. Now, every preacher wants to say they moved on from the wilderness of Sin. Oh man, that'll preach, Marty. That will preach. You got to leave sin. That's true, man. That'll preach. And I wish there's a whole sermon right there. You got to leave sin. Um, It just happens that just happened to be the name of the the place they were they were at. If you look geographically, the the children of the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. They're in the Sinai Peninsula, um, and they this direction they're moving is further away from the promised land. They're actually going deeper into the wilderness. They're going as far south as they can possibly go. Now, were they trying to go away from the promised land? No. They were following the Lord. They were following the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And when the cloud moved, they moved. When the pillar of fire moved, they moved. And when the cloud stopped, they stopped. When the pillar of fire stopped, they stopped. They were being obedient to following God. And God was actually moving them further away geographically from the place they were going. Was that, did that come as a surprise to God? No. God was intentionally moving them. Sometimes God has to lead us in a direction and and by our own senses, by our our sight and, and by what maybe sometimes what we feel, we may feel like, God, this isn't exactly how I thought my life was going to go or the situation I'm going to find myself in right now. But yet... If, we are, if our eyes are on Him and we're following Him, we're exactly where we're supposed to be. And sometimes God leads us to these places where we would least expect it. So that He can work and that He can, he can give us and provide for us and give us everything that we need. Now, I will tell you, sometimes we get in the car. At my house, and I already told you, so we always leave something. I don't know what it's going to be next. Sometimes we get in the car. This last time uh, we went, we got in the car to go to my parents for Thanksgiving or Christmas, one of those. We were, and we um, we got in the car, and we're all loaded up. Dogs in the car, and she's back there just jumping around. And to go to my parents, we go up US one north. Every other day of the week, we never really go that way. And in fact, I still haven't gone to the Last Chance Cafe for Pork Chop Thursdays, which I keep getting promised. Is it Last Chance? What's the name of it, Mark? Hard Times. That's it. Come on. I know. 
One of these days I'm going to enjoy that. We pass it every time we go to my parents. But that's about really the only time we go up US-1. We even go out that direction. And this last time we were going out the direction, and my, my oldest one, she's sitting in the back seat, and she says, we're going down McRae Road, the road I live on. We haven't even gotten to US-1. And it's blown her world because we either come this way or we go that way, Chick-fil-A way. You know, we come to Hermitage or Chick-fil-A. That's about where we go in her world. So we're going the opposite direction from Chick-fil-A or Hermitage. And in her little world, she says, Daddy, are we going the right way? <laughs> she's, she's nine, right? She's nine and she's backseat driving her father at nine. Now, when I'm 80, she can backseat drive me and say, Dad, are we going the right way? And, and I really should probably listen to her if I'm at 80, if I'm still driving and alive. But at 9, she should not be quick. I know how to get to my mom and dad's house. I know how to get there. I've gone there before. I think I know how to get there. In her mind, she was completely, it was like she was about to throw up. She's like, we don't go this direction. Many times we... We treat God the same way. When he, is, when he starts leading us in a way or to a place or in a direction that we're not sure of or that's not comfortable for us or heaven help us, it's leading us, in a, leading us where we've never done it that way before. And we start, get to, we start getting confused we start getting sick on our stomach and we start thinking, God, are, are you really? Are you going? Are you sure, God, that you're going in the right direction? Are you sure? Right? Do we not do the same thing? Yeah, we can. Oh, man, we can. Don't point. Some of y'all want to point at your spouse right now. Don't point at anyone. Okay? But we, because we all can do that. And yet, here, God is leading and leading them further and further away. And notice, notice why he's leading them in the wilderness. Where are they about to get to? Where is God leading them to? If you look at the context of this, he is leading them to Horeb. Horeb is the name for a mountainous region there in the Sinai Peninsula, where on one particular mountain, God appeared to Moses in the form of a burning bush. And where on one particular mountain, God was going to come down and bring the Ten Commandments. The Israelites were actually heading to a place in which they were going to be camped out for a while. God was going to do some amazing things for them. God was going to give them the truth, give them the law. He was going to forge them, refine them. He was going to enter into covenant with them. He was going to take them and prepare them for the promise. They they couldn't go straight to the promised land. They weren't forged together yet. God was purposely leading them into the wilderness so that he could forge them into the people he created them to be so that they could go to the promised land. There's no shortcuts. God was taking them there 
And it was not, the wilderness was not a place where it was like, oh, woe is me, oh, this is awful, this is, this is, I hate this. The wilderness was a place, even though physically it was challenging, spiritually it was a place in which they would receive the blessing and the presence of God like they had never experienced before. Sometimes God leads us into the wilderness. Sometimes God has to strip every comfort and every... um, Everything else that we build our lives upon so that we can see him and depend on him and trust on him and him alone. Amen. Sometimes he has to do that. It gets so easy when we have everything, when we can, when we live in like the buffet of life and everything's going our way and everything's going according to our plan. And, you know, things are comfortable and easy. It's it's easy to get our eyes off of the Lord. And get them on ourselves and get them on our stuff. Everywhere, everywhere we see God and his people and leading them in the wilderness, it's always for their good. And it's always to provide for them. Number two, as God led them into the wilderness and God led them deeper into the desert and God led them in a direction they weren't quite, they didn't know. Number two, God always knows our need. God always knows our need. It says that they, they showed up there at the, uh, they camped in the valley of Rephidim. Rephidim means resting place. Um, hermitage actually Hermitage, the name hermitage means like a refuge or a retreat. Um, They had taken this idea, they had landed into this place called this place of rest. But yet there was one problem, there was no water. So instead of resting and resting in God, and rest, didn't God know there was no water here? Didn't God know they need water to live? Yeah, he made them. He made us. He knew their need. Who was driving? God was. And yet in the midst of everything they had seen and everything they had known, and they would follow God and they get to this valley, this valley of rest, and yet there was no water What's the very first thing they start doing before they even unpack the family truckster? Man, they start complaining. They're in the presence of God. God had just parted the Red Sea and destroyed the Egyptian army. And yet what? How quick they forgot. Shouldn't they know? Pretty much, I'm pretty sure if God can... Make, allow us to cross the Red Sea and destroy the Egyptian army. I'm pretty sure he can conjure up some rain. That he can provide the water. We should have died two or three times already on this journey. I'm pretty sure he can do it. No, the very first thing they do is they, they, they complain. We talked. This was in our this was in our Bible study lesson. They talked about all the 
all the complaining that, that happened. And I don't want to get into their complaint this morning so much as when we get into um, the result of this complaining and really, really understand it. He says, look at Moses. They're, they're complaining in verse 2. And Moses said to them, first, why do you quarrel with me? And he was basically saying, why are you bothering me with this complaint? Don't you know? He's like saying, don't you know? God can handle this. Because then he points the very next thing. He's saying, you're really, your complaint really isn't with me. Your complaint is really with who? Yeah, because he says, why do you test the Lord? I want to I want to zero in on that. On testing the Lord. The idea is testing God, and this I'm come this is coming from Philip Riken, one of the commentators I studied for this passage. Philip Riken says, Testing God is demanding or expecting him to do something special for you. Something that you haven't earned or you haven't deserved. That's what testing God is. We have another word for that. It's called entitlement. The entitlement mentality. You know what entitlement mentality is? Well, absolutely. We're rife with it. I deserve fill in the blank. And we do that. We do that. Then politically, right now, I mean, we're we're just you know, you talk about a nation of entitlements and all that society. We do that to God when we say, "God, I deserve to have this. I deserve to live like this. I deserve to have this in my life. I deserve going to God with our demands." That's testing. Testing God. Testing God. Here's another, here's another thing to hang, hang on. Testing God always includes a measure of doubt. And that's, that's exactly what the Israelites were showing right here. They were saying, God, we doubt you in your power to provide for us. We doubt you... In your love for withholding this from us, we doubt you in your wisdom for leading us here. We doubt you, we doubt you, we doubt you. They were living in doubt and fear and not living how? By faith. You see, they had the cloud and they had the fire. And they were faithful in picking up their tents and loading up the animals and following. When that cloud moved, they moved. When the pillar of fire moved, they moved. They had that down. That was their activity. That was their outward obedience, so to speak, to God and saying, God, we followed you here. We're doing our Christian duty. And yet, where was their heart? Just as soon as God delayed one aspect of their comfort, 
What did it reveal? It revealed their heart. And that, a lot of times that's what happens with us. Whenever one little th- area of our comfort or one little thing in our life, or our little things that we try to come together and bring together, whenever one little area is, one little area of our comfort is affected, it cuts right to the heart. What is the most important thing? That's what it should be. Many times when we go through testing and trial and we go into the wilderness, it reveals that which is most important to us. It reveals our own little idols, our own weak spots, our own attitudes and heart condition that needs to be changed and transformed by the power of Christ. Amen? Now, and, and through all of this, when they're here... Did God know their need? Did they need to test God? Did they need to, did they need to call out and start complaining and say, Well, God, you obviously missed this on your list of a hundred things you had to do. No, because God always knows our needs. He knows it ahead of time. It's never wrong to go to Him with our needs, but He knows them. Matthew 6, 8 tells us when Jesus was here, He spoke and told us that God knows what we need when. Before we even ask it. How awesome is that? How many of you parents, you know when your kid is walking up to you, you you know that sometimes. You know what your child's about to ask for. They're like, man, when like when mine are like they're six and nine and they like they're like, man, you can read my mind. Well, y'all make it so easy sometimes. Our Heavenly Father knows what we need before we ask infinitely more. Because he's he's God over time. He's the Lord of time. He created time. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He sits outside of time and he knows it before we even ask. So... Because he knows it, before we even ask, because he is leading us and guiding us and has a plan for us, can we trust him? That's the question here. Can we trust him? Can we stake our lives on him, our eternal destiny on him? And I believe we can. And he shows us here at the climax. Because only God, number three, only God, provides water in the wilderness. You see, God could have led them to a resort villa on the Red Sea where they had fresh flowing springs of water and air conditioning and palm branches and all of that. He could have done that, couldn't he? He intentionally led them further into the wilderness He stripped away every comfort from them to show them what? That only He could provide everything they needed. And if the miracle at the Red Sea wasn't enough, God was ready to do another miracle for them. And He was going to bring water to a parched and dry desert. 
And he wasn't just going to bring water from the heavens and say, okay, you know, everybody, he could have said, uh, everyone bring out all your Rubbermaid Tupperware, <laughs> all your, you know, every kind of container you have, I'm going to make the heavens rain down as we have been in El Nino and we've gotten all kinds of rain here lately. He could have said that and provided just as much water, couldn't he? But what did he say he was going to do? How was he going to provide the water? He was going to provide water out of a rock. Something none of them had ever seen before. When they were in Egypt, the water flowed down the Nile. They had seen probably already in the wilderness, in the desert, they'd already seen cisterns where you caught rainwater. They, didn't, they had never seen water come out of a rock. They had, they had no concept that, okay, okay, so Moses is going to take his staff and hit this rock. And instead of the staff breaking, the rock's going to break open. And an and a aquifer is going to empty out and fill this place with fresh water. I mean, not just fresh rainwater, but cold, crisp, clear water. Only God. Only God can do that because God makes a way where there is no way. God provides a way across the Red Sea where there is no way. God provides water in the wilderness where there is no water. God himself, and I think he's showing a picture. We got into this in our lesson this morning. He's showing us a picture of himself. All throughout the Old Testament, God is called our rock. He's the rock, he's the rock of whom we build our lives. He is our fortress. He is our strength. And right here in the midst of this section, who is sinning? Yeah, the people are sinning. They're complaining, they're grumbling, they're showing their doubt, expressing their doubt to the Lord. And God tells Moses, go, go get your staff and go strike the rock. You know, if I was writing this, yeah, if it was me, I would say, Moses, go get your staff. Strike the people. Come on. They're complaining, they're all crying, crybabies. Let's get some bolts of lightning and some flames and stuff, right? Who deserved judgment here? Who deserved the judgment? The people deserve the judgment. And yet, what did Moses strike? Did Moses strike the people? No, God told Moses, strike the rock, the picture of God himself. Instead of striking the people, God said, strike the rock, strike me. And one day he would, in the form of his son. And Jesus Christ would come, and we would complain, and the people would complain. And he would be risen up and be hung on a cross and pierced for our transgressions. 
And he was the spotless one, the blameless one, the holy one. Who deserves judgment? We do. And on the cross, we deserve to be smitten. We deserve to be nailed. We deserve to be pierced. And yet God struck his own son. He struck himself. He took the strike for us. And when Moses struck the rock, the judgment taken by God instead of the people, what came out? Water. Life-giving, life-changing, life-altering water. And not stagnant water, not stale water, but the best, freshest, purest water water you could ever drink in your life in the wilderness and when Christ was lifted up he said I I came to bring you living water he told the woman at the well I came to bring you living water A water that wells up inside of you that will never run dry. He is our living water. And when he was struck on the cross and nailed on the cross, our rock was pierced for us. From him come streams of living water, the water of life. Salvation is drinking from him. Being satisfied in Him. Receiving from Him the forgiveness of our sins. The cleansing of our sins. The washing us and making us whole. And then the filling us for new life through His Spirit. Unfortunately, He's offered all of that. He's offered... Are every provision. Not just the things we need for this life, what we need to eat and what we need to drink, what we need to wear. Not just the basics, but for eternity. And not just what are we going to do, but purpose and mission and living and life and vitality. He has provided all of that in a world that provides copies and counterfeits. and says, we're, yeah, you just take this drug, it will make you happy. Uh, if you just follow this, uh, you know, workout plan or health plan, and you you will be satisfied. If you attain to the top in your employment and in your profession, and you finally reach a position of power, strength, you will be satisfied. If you if you find your your strength in relationships or with another person, with building your family, you will finally be satisfied. Guess what? All of those things that the world dangles in front of you and says, one day you will arrive. Guess what? You will never get there. You will never get there. Apart from Christ, who offers us the one thing, the only thing that we need. For this life or the next. And that's him. That's him. We must drink from him. 
and his will and his water. And not be content with the dirty, muddy, stale water of this world. Not be content with following our dreams or following our heart. Following him. You notice the very last part of that passage? Man, can't miss this. I got to get back to it. I don't, I don't even want to say it wrong. Verse 7, this is at the end. They drank, I mean the people drank. Verse 7, and he called the name of the place Massah, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling, because of the quarreling of the people and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Bottom line, is God's presence. Is God with you? Is God in you? You can take away all the trappings of this world away, this building away, this life away, this community away. Most important thing is God with us. Is God with you? We're going to have a time of invitation as we close. And I, I just want to, I want to invite you. If you've never accepted Christ, the most important thing you can do is begin a relationship with him. Drink for the very first time. Say, Lord, wash me. Make me, make me whole. I want you. I need you. Number two, if you're, you're a Christian, you need to belong to a people of faith. Say, I'm not just a Lone Ranger Christian, but I'm actually, I am going to follow God and be in covenant with other people who are following him. That's what a church is all about. We're called out. We're on the same road. We're following the same plan, following the same God, following him. Amen? I mean, it's important not to just be out there, not be alone, but belong. Number three, to grow in your faith. You may be a Christian, but you've you've been subsiding on dirty, stale water. And this morning, you need to drink afresh and drink anew of him and say, God, give me you. Forgive me for following my own will or my own way. I I want more of you in my life right now. I need you in my life right now. Then finally it might be this morning you need to you need the answer to call the serve. And that means not just I'm drinking of the water of life and my family is drinking of the water of life, but I I need to be sharing the gospel, sharing the water of life with others. God, show me how, show me where, show me who, show me when. Give me the words, give me the strength, give me the gumption. Amen. However the Lord is leading you in this time of invitation, I'm going to invite Pastor Mark to come and lead us in this. This altar is open if you want to come kneel and pray or make a commitment to him this morning. I want to encourage you to do so as we pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time. We just give this time to you. Lord, we, we know you are all over this place, and you're speaking and moving. And, Lord, we have heard from you, and we want to follow you, and we want to be filled by you today. Lord, may we pass from death to life. May we pass from, Lord, our self to you this morning, in this time, in this army. We commit ourselves anew to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.